0: Uh, we're in a series, this is our second week, um, in a series called Burn the Ships, and the idea behind it is we're trying to talk about how do we commit to the future and let go of what was so we can get to where we need to be. Burn the Ships, Burn the Ships that brought you, it was based on, I, I, I shared this already, I'm not going to go into the weeds on it once more, sorry, but um, it was based on a story of Hernando Cortez, sails Cross, I'm not going to go into it, let's just stop there, focusing on the future. Now, before we focus on the future, can we briefly remember the past? And by past, I do mean last Sunday. Where were you when the world stopped turning? Huh? I actually want to know. Does anybody have any weird moments they want to share publicly? Consider it your space for confession. No? I'll go first if you need me to. I'm okay with that. I was uh, at home, and I wasn't well. I mean, physically, I was fine. Emotionally, though, I was a hot mess. And... There was different parts of the game where I literally, for reasons unbeknownst to me, was wrapped up in my window curtains. I don't know why. I was standing with like enough of a gaping hole to perceive what was happening on the television in front of me, but everything else, I just needed to be held in those moments. And At the end of the game, where's Bernie, by the way? Where's Bernie? We played the Saints, right? And you're a Saints fan? Okay. just wanted to check. It's a place for healing for you tonight. But I, at the end of the game, I, I, I was in my living room, and my wife and our two you know, uh, very formative young children are next to me. And they're both watching the game and both terrified for what dad's going to do next. And so the Saints made their field goal, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I was in a dark place. I wasn't like to the point of like, despair and weeping but hand shaking and going, Matt, do not curse out loud in front of your children right now. Matt, this is a big moment where you need to rise up, and you need to not (laughs) cause a scene. And so I'm sitting there, head again, head buried, just saying, like, please do not. Don't do something stupid right now. And next thing you know, um, my wife starts screaming. The play starts happening. The Minneapolis miracle unfolds. And I go from, like, this, like, freaked out, maintain control, maintain posture, in front of my children, to all of a sudden, again, for reasons unknown to me, I start ripping off my clothes and running around the room. And I'm yelling all sorts of things that I don't, even, they don't even make sense. I'm not actually articulating words at this point, except for when that brief moment when out of my mouth came, and I tried to stop it, I tried to catch it, but in front of my two kids, who I was present at their birth, and my wife, who I, who I married, I said, this is the happiest moment of my life. So with that said, it is amazing, isn't it? This is a, I'm going to use this for a bridge now into what we're going to talk about tonight. It is amazing, isn't it, how easy it can be to lose focus on what actually matters. You know what I'm saying? Like how easy it can be. And not just in these, mo- like in these moments of pure ecstasy, we're kind of exposed for maybe having some priorities out of whack, but... In our everyday, we can kind of lose focus on what actually matters. Between like the grocery shopping runs and the catching up with old friends, the jobs we got to keep, the duties we got to meet, all the different X's and O's that make up our life, we hustle to and fro, and in, in, along the way, we end up losing sight of what matters. What is like the ultimate thing here? What is the most important piece? In fact, if I were to ask you in your life right now, and I want you to actually consider this, what matters most to you? Think about that. What is the answer that comes up in your life? What is it that matters most to you? And say you weren't actually capable of speaking that answer back to me. What would your calendar say matters the most to you? And say you're so 2018 and above and beyond doing things like calendars. What would your wallet say matters to you? What would those that you love the most But those that know you the best, what would they say matters to you? What do you prioritize in your life? And do your practices and your pursuits reflect that truth? Are you consistent across the board? What matters most to you? And does it actually matter that much to you at all? Or do you get kind of tossed and turned in the chaos of life? the basic means of surviving, that you've actually forfeited all opportunities to move into a place of thriving. There's a moment where Paul is writing in his letter to the Corinthians where he was looking at this group of people who are new members in the Jesus movement, are trying to understand what it's all about, and he goes above and beyond, out of his way to drive home the point that your life matters. And if your life matters, then what you do with your life matters greatly. How you spend your days, how you steward your energy is very important. Psalm 85 5 tells us that, right? God, what is it that you are mindful of mere mortal man that you have crowned us with glory and honor? To be human, says the Scriptures, is to be people of power and might, to have influence, to merely float by and exist without actually having what matters the most to us matter that much to us, will that be to be incongruent with our scriptural story? So Paul, he's writing this letter to this Corinthians, and he's trying to get them to understand uh, that which matters most to you, you need to start moving towards. There are implications for that which you are saying yes to. It's not enough for you to label as a priority, as a Facebook status every now and then. There has to be a practice and a pursuit that coincide with the priorities that you express. And so in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes these words. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody that's running aimlessly. I do not run like somebody that's running aimlessly. I do not fight. Like a boxer that is beating the air. I want to talk about progress. I was reading in one of my wife's psychology journals a couple of weeks ago. And there was this really fascinating line that, that was in there, this article. I didn't get to the whole thing, literally just read the title. I was going to be honest with you, I have no idea what the actual article is about just read the title, but it had something to do with, I might be making this whole thing up as I go right now. It had something to do with, in our minds, when we interpret our own stories and our place and our purpose, we are always going to be the protagonists in our stories, no matter what. That's how the brain works, is that you are the good guy no matter what. So when we talk about how you make progress, how we actually move forward to, to stepping closer to that which matters most to us, Oftentimes, the answer that we would give is we need to double down on our efforts, right? We need to work harder. We need to sweat more. Because it assumes that we're actually, we are where we need to be. And to a certain extent, it's true. Like effort obviously is key, it's core, it's important for actually any progress it's going to make. I mean, how are you going to ace that which you didn't study for, right? You actually have to put time in, you have to sweat it out a little bit to move the ball further, and yet what Paul says here is that effort in and of itself is insufficient. Paul says actually if you are doubling down on a direction that you were never intended to walk on, then you're just going faster in the wrong way. Paul is speaking into a place, Corinth, that actually held the Olympics or Olympic-like games at one point in their history, and what some scholars would actually believe was this current point in their history, Paul is writing when the games are unfolding. And so he is employing this athletic imagery, these metaphors, and he uses the image of a boxer. And Paul makes note of what he sees. He says, I see you doing what you do. I see that you are moving your feet. I see that your knuckles are all taped. I see that you can float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. But my question in the midst of all that you are doing is why are you doing any of it? Yeah, you're sweating a lot, you're doing a lot, you're on the move, you're going, you're making things happen, but you're not actually getting anywhere. You're running aimlessly. You're punching the air as if you are making progress. And there's a difference. It's a very simple truth what Paul is getting at, but I'm telling you, when I actually had this sink in the other day for me, it really said some things. Let me try to modernize it for you. Um... This man right here, arguably, is the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt. you familiar with him? Usain Bolt, in 2009, ran at the speed, peak speed of, I don't want to butch this, I wrote this down, at the Berlin Championship Games, something of that sort, uh, he ran at the speed of like 27.9 miles per hour, a human being. Context-wise, that is about as fast as I can go on my moped when I grip it and rip it, okay? So think about that. A human being with his bare feet can keep pace with me on a moped. That's how fast he is going. Now, what Paul is trying to drive the point home here is to say that that's true. He is running that fast. Usain Bolt is a different kind of species. Not very many people can keep up with him. And yet, if you were to line up next to him, you could beat him, moped or not. You could outrun him you can make it past the finish line before he does. All you would need is for him to run five seconds in the opposite direction. Now, that's dumb. That's simple. That's basic. I know, but think about the implications of what that reality is actually saying. You could be the fastest, the most gifted, the most confident, the most well-prepared to thrive in your life, and yet if you do not know the direction in which you are supposed to be running, you're going to lose the race every time. Paul is saying, do not be somebody who's punching the air. Do not run aimlessly. Know where you are stepping. Your story matters. How are you stewarding your energy? Are you more concerned with how all the outputs in your life? Are you more concerned with the outcome of your life? Are you more concerned with what you are doing to fill your days or why you're doing anything at all? How aware are you of what matters most to you when you stop and you actually pause to consider your life? I think that for most of us, I don't want to project, but to a certain extent, when I ask the question, what matters most to you, we may not be able to get into specifics for each of us right away, but we could give you the basic subject material, right? Like we would say maybe family, faith, um, whatever it might be, okay? Okay? We have a general sense of what matters most to us, but the reason there is ambiguity between where we are and where we believe we need to be is because we do not know how to always move closer and implement further that which matters most to us. And Paul says to these people that you need to understand that what you are doing right now, it needs to stop. And here's, here's the core lesson I think Paul is really trying to get after in this. And, and I think what I want to relay on to us as we consider where we are going and how we're going to actually move faster, and more effectively towards where we need to be, is that if you actually want to empower, if you want to feed that which matters most to you, you need to starve that which doesn't. You need to recognize the things that are not for you that you are still placing yourself inside of. The investments that you are making that should, you should not be investing inside of. Places that are draining you, instead of developing you? How do you strengthen that place of actually moving closer towards the place that matters most to you? Towards living into what you claim to prioritize? 300 years ago, Benjamin Franklin, he was asking these questions, and he had the fair hope and expectation in his life that at some point, he would achieve moral perfection. That's true. That's actually what his goal was. You know, some people, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, I'm going to do, learn guitar. I'm going to achieve moral perfection, said Ben Franklin 300 years ago. And so he sat down at the age of 20 and he came up with his famous 13 virtues. Now these virtues were commitments that he was going to, in order to get to his why, in order to actually achieve moral perfection. Perfection. He said, these are the 13 things I need to go and live and abide by. I need temperance, I need silence, I need order. You can read it. When I look through that list, um, what jumped out to me the other day more than anything else is number three, order. Let all of your things have their places, Ben Franklin said. Let each part of your business have its time. Now, 300 years ago, not everybody was starting up business. It wasn't your thing. That wasn't just our regular thing that we were all doing. And so when Ben Franklin is talking about let each part of your business have its time, he's saying let each part of your life, your day, your stewarding of your energy, know how to place it where it properly belongs. Then he has this right here. I want you to look at that. If you look at this idea of having each thing having their places, um, and you look at this column that Ben makes right here, on the left-hand side, he asks the question, the first question, the morning question when he wakes up, what good should I do this day? Evening question, what good have I done today? Right-hand side, steps, five to seven to eight, uh, that's the time of the day. Rinse, wash, and address powerful goodness. So he has on his right-hand side these different places of output, these different things that he is going to do, the different practices that he's going to achieve so that his left-hand side can come true, so that there can be notable goodness that is actually done that day, so that when he hits his bed at night, he can look back and go, because I did that over there, I'm going to do this over there. And what we can actually discern from this is that what Not Franklin understands and what I think Paul is trying to get after is that if we are actually going to practice and pursue that which we are prioritizing we're going to need to establish some parameters if we're actually going to say yes to that which matters most to us we're going to have to learn how to say no to that which doesn't it's so funny you guys I was talking to Maddie and Terry before here and saying like "I don't know, yeah, rough idea maybe we could go with message tonight and Maddie out of nowhere brings up Maddie what'd you say what's your new year resolution say no, say no more Say no more. In order to actually feed our ability to say yes, we have to learn how to say no. This is so key. This is so significant for moving forward into the future. I thought about this um, last month. Last month I was, when you're in a field like mine, and, and uh, when you're trying to do this passion thing, you've never actually done it before, you don't really know what you're doing, you're kind of making it up as you go, you tend to operate on the assumption where, well, I just need to be good to people. Like, I need to please people. I need to, and I don't mean that in the people-pleasing way, but like, I need to serve people and, you know, be, that's what I'm supposed to do. So lunch, sure, right? Call me in the middle of the night, fine. That's great. Uh, let's do this. Let's do that. Until I got to this point where I was asked to speak at this event, and I went and I spoke and i went, mid-event, kid you not. I had this thought, like, what am I doing here? Like, like seriously, this has nothing to do with the table. It has nothing to do with, like, what I'm passionate about. It is not pushing me further towards that which I claim matters most to me, and yet I'm up here as if this is, like, top priority, when really saying yes to this thing means I'm taking away from my yes to the things that matter the most. It only got worse. After that uh, meeting, despite middle of the message or the talk, having this awareness that, I don't actually, I shouldn't be here. Like, there's better ways to steward my day. This guy came up to me and goes, hey, are you free? I would love to interview you for my podcast tomorrow. Sure. So 8.30 at night, when Lauren's putting the kids down, I'm downstairs having an interview with this guy. And again, there's this recognition that by my inability to say no, by my inability to say, like, this is not for me right now, I'm taking away from people that need me the most. I'm taking away from my ability to say yes to that which matters the most. There's a moment for Jesus where Jesus understands why he is here and what he is doing. And there's this fascinating time where he gives this message, and in the middle of his sermon, somebody starts speaking up, and they say, "Uh, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, you need to understand that Jesus, his role is is not to be a lawyer. He didn't go to law school. He's not here to do these kinds of things. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. It's a completely different field. But they're asking him a legal question, saying, can you intervene so that this inheritance can be dealt out accordingly? And Jesus turns to this person, and he says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter? between you two Now you read that text sometimes you think why is Jesus being a punk like i thought he was like always kind always loving he's not this isn't Jesus being arrogant this is Jesus being focused this isn't Jesus being a punk this is Jesus being a person who understands that that which he is prioritizing needs to have parameters around it because if you don't you end up punching the air and you're exhausted you end up running aimlessly, and you're lost. Think about your life. Think just about the past two weeks. Are you saying yes to things that you should be saying no to? Are you ending up in places that are not pushing you closer towards that which matters most, but are holding you down, making you stand still? Is there confidence in you to understand, to have a conviction around what you are setting out towards so that when somebody comes your way and asks you to do a podcast or asks you to do this thing or asks you to show up here, you can say, what am I, a judge? Do you understand? Jesus is saying, I came here to do this and this and this, which means that I cannot do that and that and that. And until we actually can clarify what we are moving towards, we're going to walk around with limps, half awake, always unsure. Why is it that I'm swinging with all my might and I'm never making contact? It's because you're punching the air. It's because you're running with no direction. You do not know where you are going. Which is why I love what Paul says in this text. Paul says that everybody who competes in the games goes into strict training. At this time, and to be in the Olympics, strict training, that language in the Greek is actually telling you the reality. To be a Greek Olympian, um, you had to commit to 10 months of intense training. And not just like, I'm going to do my best to make it to practice. It's like you, are, you have people that are holding you accountable. Should you not actually abide by the rules and the logic of the training, then you were disqualified from the Olympics. What would it look like for you to take your life seriously enough, your future seriously enough, where you saw yourself constantly in a place of training? I told you guys this before, but I went down to take a class with um, Rob Bell last year, and he had this great line about this specific text that has stuck with me ever since. He said, when, no matter what you are doing in your life, frame it as you being in training. Consider your friends, consider yourself, if you are a marathon runner. You don't just hop out of bed one day and go, I'm gonna go run a marathon. It is something that you are committed to. You take on a different way of eating, a different way of sleeping, a different routine throughout the days leading up to it. And there are things that you will do and things that you won't do, and you have clarity around it. Rob Bell was talking about this and he said, you just need to start telling people, like, um, when they're asking you to go somewhere. If you don't, if you don't want to get in their face and, and make them mad, just say, I'm in training. And when they ask you for what, you say tomorrow. I mean, I gotta, I'm going to be with my kids tonight. I've got to start training. I'm making breakfast for my family tomorrow. I've got to be training. And then he said, to, uh, to take it even further, you know what you can start saying is, you know, I can't... Um, Can't be with you guys tonight. Too late at the bar. I can't go out at this point because I got a big event coming up. And when they ask what's the event, you say, "Well, I got to take my kids to school in the morning." And I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. I want to be closer to living my life in a way where my practices and my pursuits are congruent with what I proclaim to matter the most. We think about us, the church, both as a people and as individual persons, when we think about where we are going to be in January 2019 and we look back on this moment right now, my prayer is that we will be a people who are able to say enthusiastically with conviction, yes, to certain things, but we'll also say no to things. That we won't confuse outputs with outcomes. Building and planting a church is an output. Becoming a church is an outcome. We fix our eyes on what actually matters. And we move forward with faith. Amen? Pray with me. Jesus, Lord, we thank you, God, for the work you are doing in our midst. God, we thank you, God, that you have crowned us with glory and honor. God, give us the courage and the wisdom to take seriously our lives, to steward our energy wisely so that we are not just waking up and waiting for the next moment we get to go back to bed. God, give us the courage to be intentional. Give us the conviction to say no to certain things, certain places and certain people. Give us this growing awareness, God, that we live with this incredible gift of life. And we will not run just to run. We will run to win. All God's children, will we say together, Amen.